Hello, State of America fans. This is one half of your hosting team, Ian Rice, here to let you know that all of our episodes will now be available on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash State of America. So check us out there if you haven't already and keep enjoying the show. Welcome to the world's premier Black Crows podcast. State of America, hosted by two of the band's most dedicated fans, David Hudson and Ian Rice. And now, let's get the show on the road. And we are back, everyone, on the State of America podcast. I hope everybody has had a good week. I'm here with my good friend, Ian Rice. Ian, how goes it today, my friend? What is happening? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm well. I'm sitting here uh, watching a little baseball, and it's storming outside, and going to talk a little bit about the Black Crows. It doesn't get a whole lot better than that. I, I enjoy the rain, especially in the summer. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, you can't beat it sometimes. Once it, it definitely reduces that humidity whenever it rains, and I'm not, a, uh, I'm not comfortable in humidity, so uh, I'll well, take rain whenever I can get it. Th- don't come visit me in the summer, then. Because uh, that's all it is. Well, uh, Ian, we are uh, back with another episode, and we just concluded one of our giveaways last week. We not last week, a couple weeks ago, we posted our dream set list and asked those of you that wanted to uh, take a crack at getting uh, a Morka reissue on vinyl. Uh, send us your dream set list to uh, stateofamorka.com and. Uh, I was very pleased with the uh, the quality of the submissions and the quantity of the submissions that we got. Yeah, it was the reason why we kind of uh, delayed it a little bit was uh, you know it was a a slower rollout on those, but we got some really good uh, responses to it, and it was it was definitely difficult to choose the best one. I mean, picking the best one, you know, it's like uh, it's like picking your favorite uh, song off of a Morica or something. You know, they're all great, so. It's a tough choice, but uh, I think the one that we picked out is is it just stands above the others for a few reasons. So, well, there wasn't there was not a bad one. If if I went to any of those shows and that's what we got, I would walk out with a smile on my face. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. These uh, people certainly need to uh, be involved if uh, the crows ever get back together and picking helping them pick the set list. Not that they ever had any trouble, but uh, right. But uh, the the. One that we decided to go with was submitted by a gentleman named Daniel Campbell. So he's going to be um, taking home that Amorica on the 180-gram vinyl, and congratulations to him. A big reason why this uh, this one stood out just a little bit more so than maybe some of the others from me was uh, he opened uh, set two with uh, with an, like an acoustic run, and that that was that was really cool to me. Uh, and he had. Tied up and swallowed as an opener, and he, he uh, kind of went outside the box for the encore, and um, decided to go with "Presence of the Lord" as a cover, which uh, that's real cool. That's a great blind faith tune, and uh, that would definitely suit them well. I don't know if they ever actually did it, but well, I mean, he included in the email that uh, Foamfoot um, did it. Yes, so yes, that's right. He was. Uh, we said that the encore could be kind of a wild card, so we'll accept that. Uh, things that. It, Stick out to me on there, like I said, Tied Up and Swallowed, A Sister Luck, uh, a great song. It seemed to me that most people, when they submitted, the third song was always a more mellow, laid-back uh, tune. Uh, there was kind of a, um, a theme to that. 
I like the acoustic selections, uh, Long Time Gone, um, God's Guided Acoustic. That would be interesting to hear acoustically. Uh, the only two that I kind of have uh, take exception with are Kept My Soul and Young Man, Old Man. But Oh, dude. But when you've got exit in between those two, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I know uh, from the Lions episode, I know you weren't big on uh, Young Man, Old Man, but uh, yeah, we haven't gotten it before the Frost yet, but uh, I already see a spot where we're going to disagree because uh, <laughs> Kept My Soul was a biggie on that album for me. I And I thought it was cool that he included it on the set because you never you don't see that one too much. No, you don't. So, Daniel, uh, thank you for the submission. Uh, you'll be receiving a package from Ian soon, the Amorca vinyl reissue. Uh, once again, everybody that submitted, thank you. And some of you wrote us some really long messages on there uh, talking about how much you love the Crows and what they mean to you. And uh, it was really, really cool uh, to read all of those. And we tried to get back uh, with everybody that sent us an email. But uh, thank you once again. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. It, it really is. Uh, it's a good uh, indicator to us that we're doing the right thing when, when people respond so positively. And in addition to participating, have have some nice uh, some nice remarks for us. And it, uh, it's a good feeling and we really appreciate it. Well, Ian, the summer is heating up and that means it's touring season. And uh, the Chris Robinson Brotherhood has embarked on a uh, new tour which uh, will be some of their last shows I think in the incarnation as we know it uh, at this point uh, they've played a couple and I'm pulling up the set list FM real quick so let me make sure I'm not talking out of turn but it looks like for the most part they're basically play- playing the same set list or 80% um, of the same set list, which, uh, you know, they got a, they got a brand new guy on keys because they had a guy filling in after Adam left for May. So they have a new guy in June. His name escapes me. And, uh, I think, uh, after this run, there may be some shows in the fall. I'm not sure. I don't have it in front of me, but I think, uh, as we know, the Chris Robinson brotherhood, they will probably not be around after that. No. And it's, you know, it's unfortunate because a, a big, big part of their identity was being a jam band and when you start to do static set lists it kind of takes away from that but you know what, what choice do they really have they suddenly changed members and you can't you it, it's 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 virtually impossible i would think to 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 get new guys up to date on the entire catalog in that short amount of time so you know i guess they're just forging ahead as best they can it's a shame that it kind of the wheels kind of seem to have fallen off that i mean it was it to me, it was just really getting some, not just getting some, but it, it was continuing to build its legs, you know. And it, I guess uh, foolishly, I don't know. It seemed like they were they were enjoying themselves, but clearly there was some issues there. Well, what I thought was interesting, I think they had built their a, a big following up of people that weren't necessarily Crows fans, which you gotta you got yes. you gotta tip your hat to Chris on that. Yeah, that's a big. He kind of got himself into that jam community, which the Crows were always kind of on the fringe of, and. I, I'm speaking from like personal experience. One of the uh, the local record shops I frequent, the uh, one of the owners in there is a big jam band guy, and it had nothing but great things to say about Chris Robinson Brotherhood, and, and you know wasn't really into the Crows at all. So, well, um, I hope we still get some music from Chris in the future. It sounds like he may do a solo album. I still think he's got like a soul funk reggae album in him. Um, 
that I think he would. I don't. I don't see him going back and writing music that would sound like it would be played by the Black Crows. No, I. I, I think his best move really would be to just move on to another something different. You know, uh, like you said. I mean, that's really that really would be a fantastic thing if he did a you know funk based kind of soul situation. I mean, that'd be great. You know, or even if he went. Um, this might not appeal to you from what I remember, but if you kind of touched on the more bluegrassy stuff a little bit too, that, that would be kind of cool. I mean, I could, I could handle that for a while. I just, I can't go down that road very long, you know? Yeah. Or maybe not even bluegrassy, even just maybe more acoustic based, you yeah. know, something a little more mellow, you know? Yeah. The singer songwriter stuff. Um, so, uh, this week we have a, uh, another installment of our tall tales, um, series and our guest this week is going to be Joe Boylan. Uh, Joe, I came to find out about him through my other podcast. He's a huge Crows fan and has a band called the Disgruntled Sharper Project, which I think is uh, a great uh, band name. But we really, uh, we really enjoyed uh, our conversation with him. Don't you think, Ian? Oh, absolutely. He Very- was, uh, you know, he was a really interesting guy. He knew what he was talking about, and you know, I. I uh, I couldn't say anything kinder about Joe. It was really a pleasure to speak with him. So we, we talked with him for uh, probably about 40, 45 minutes, but we get into, uh, you know, his love of the crows. And then the topic he kind of wanted to talk about was comparing Sven and, uh, Johnny Colt's bass playing styles and what each one of them brought to the, uh, to the band coming from somebody that's not a musician. Uh, it was very interesting because I don't know if I, Unless somebody just really, really stands out as a bass player, is really flashy, like Billy Sheehan comes to mind, uh, right. you know, Dave Ellison from uh, Megadeth, but they have to really stand out for me to notice them. And so he pointed out a lot of little things that I never would have uh, picked up on. And after we talked with him, I went back and listened to some of the s- stuff he was talking about, and I could definitely pick up on it. But you're a bit more of a musician than me. What were your thoughts on? on you know what he thought about the difference between those two he was really spot on and a lot of the things that he thought are things that i've thought over time and uh you know i don't want to uh necessarily give away his um standpoint on who he preferred but uh, you know i was kind of um in line with his thoughts on that too and uh but he really you know from someone who understands and has dabbled uh with bass playing a little bit you know he definitely was spot on all right, so that's going to be it for uh, Ian and I this week. We're going to uh, uh, tell you goodbye and hope you have a good week, and we're going to throw it to our interview with Joe, Joe Boland. So stay tall, everyone. All right, Ian, so we are here for another episode of our Tall Tales series. This will be volume two, and uh, the first one went off uh, really well. Dave Chamberlain was a great guest, and I think we've got another great one lined up this week, don't you? Certainly do. Yeah, we really appreciate Dave. that We uh, we enjoyed that. So uh, my story with uh, our guest is kind of the same I had with uh, Dave Chamberlain. Uh, I came to know uh, Joe through my first podcast that I do called Digital Kill the Radio Star. 
and he always posted about crows stuff and 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 anytime i posted about the crows he responded and uh, a couple of months ago he actually sent me he has a band and we'll let him discuss that here in a second uh their cd and listen to it it's actually really good and um he's just a diehard crows fan and he had asked uh, about coming on and like i said we're we're trying to go through everybody that's asked us to come on and be a guest and we'll probably get to everybody eventually it may take uh, at this rate it may take a year or two but uh we will get around to you and we like i said we do appreciate everybody that's um been emailing us and asking to come on we greatly uh appreciate it and it really helps us with uh not running out of material so we have as our guests for tall tales volume two from philadelphia pennsylvania mr joe boland joe how are you good how are you guys we are good. fantastic and uh we are very happy to have you on thanks for coming on with us thank you for having me yeah i for one i'm very uh excited to uh discuss what uh what we're going to discuss with you so and i know david has been too and and joe we won't even hold it against you that you're a phillies fan uh well i guess uh i know you're a braves fan ian are you a mets fan yes yes oh Uh, boy because i was gonna say the thing at least me and david can agree on two things we can agree on uh as phillies fans and braves fan we love dale murphy we hate the Mets, right? <laughs> that's uh, that's true. That is very so, much true. Because we have those two things in common with the Phillies and the Braves. Yeah, Joe, we can both agree uh, to not like the Mets, so we can find yes. some we can find some common ground on that. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> All right, so uh, Joe, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about uh, about yourself and about your band and where uh, people can find your music? Because, uh, like I said, you sent me the CD. It's really good. Well, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, the band uh, I've been playing with, uh, it's the Scruntle Sherpa Project. It's a mouthful. Uh, uh, we have a website, the com, which is uh, spelled exactly how it sounds. Uh, but our music you can get, uh, we just put out a CD uh, that you have um, back in November of 2018. That's available at Amazon.com. You can just search. Um, the name of the CD is actually High Tides and Muddy Waters. Um, like I said, it came out in November. It's available through Amazon. It's available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, all the places you get uh, digital music. Uh, hard copies of the CDs are available, like I said, through Amazon or CDBaby.com. Uh, you can also purchase it through our website. Yeah, I tell you what, I give you props. The band name is awesome, and then the name of the <laughs> album. The name of the album is is genius. I was just going to say that too. I, I love the name of the album. <laughs> the the name of the album. Um, the keyboard player in the band, uh, and he also plays trumpet and French horn, uh, is, uh, Matt Ryan, and he's also a photographer. He has an Instagram page uh, where he basically has these beautiful uh, photos that he takes of uh, you know nature, scenery, everything. And he took this wonderful photo of like a flood. Um, he's he he lives down in uh, Northern Virginia, and he took this beautiful uh, shot of which is the album cover, and. We were just like, we should use that to an album cover just because of how nice it looked. And then his caption on his Instagram page was High Tides and Muddy Waters. So we just took it from the caption and just used it there. So all credit for that goes to Matt. So what what uh, what instrument do you play in the band? I'm the uh, rhythm guitar player. I play some banjo, harmonica, uh, and I do most of the vocals. So how old were you when you started playing music? started when I was 15 years old. Um, I had these friends uh, that I just met who were a bit older than me uh, who were in a like a punk band. 
you know, garage band in Southwest Philadelphia. And it was basically the, the, the guy, the guy, George Wright, who was actually in the Disgruntled Sherpa project for, um, like 10 years. Um, he was the lead singer and the guitar player. And it was really, really rudimentary, like easy songs, but he was getting tired of playing guitar and having to sing. So he just asked me if I would do it. And I knew like maybe two chords, you know? So I started playing just basically to hang out with these guys that summer of when I was 15 years old. And it basically just blossomed from there. Like, you know, the band kind of caught on in, in the local Philadelphia area. Um, and basically just, I've been playing ever since in different bands since 1992. And it was basically just because my friend was tired of playing guitar that I took it up. Now in the, uh, in the disgruntled Sherpa project, do you, are you, the, do you do the songwriting or? Uh, yeah, I mainly, I mainly do all the songwriting. Uh, basically it's a five person band. Um, me, I'd say maybe 95% of the time I'll come up with the song and then I take it to like the other guys and, um, everyone just adds what they, you know, what they can to it, um, and makes it a lot better than my original idea. Um, and it's, it's, so it's a collaborative process. If you like the original germ of the idea comes up, uh, basically everyone puts, uh, equal, you know, work into it and then it becomes basically a band song. So I've got to ask you, you obviously are on a black crows podcast, so you're a yep. big black crows fan. What are some, some what are some of the other music that you really enjoy? Well, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that the Beatles are my all time favorite band. I'm sure you've never heard that from anyone else before. But it, it's it's the Beatles have always been since I was since I can remember like, you know, since three, four years old, the Beatles music has always been part of my life because of you know, my parents and specifically my father um so the beatles have always been my favorite band um i'd probably say the kinks are my second favorite band and rolling stones uh u2 uh jimmy hendrix um you know i don't think i've really gotten into a band that signed a record deal after 1999 probably the white stripes was the closest to that um but i also like you know um uh, they're kind of local because they're from New Hope, which is close to Philadelphia. I was always a big Ween fan. Mm -hmm. And um, like I said, the White Stripes, Ween, uh, Wilco. I was a big fan, of, always been a big fan of Wilco, uh, going back to when you know I was in college back in the late 90s. So that's basically a sampling of stuff I listened to. So it's safe to say you're a fan of the 70s. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> 60s, 70s. Um, yeah, definitely. Which uh, which era of the Kinks are you most partial to? I really like um, from Village Green through um, I guess was everybody I guess uh, everybody in show business came after Lola and the Power Man versus oh Jesus was it Lola versus Power Man and the Money Go Round right. uh, so that that era I guess what's that from sixty five through seventy two or sixty six through seventy two is like my I also got into um, Preservation Act One. I don't know if you guys ever heard that whole thing. Mm -hmm. I really like that. And then, um, you know, when I was in grade school, I really got into them in the, the 80s stuff because people kind of forget in the 80s, they were really a big band. Um, in America, at least, they were doing like arena tours and everything. And they had the, um, 
I think it was the King's Great Come, da- Come Dancing, the King's Greatest Hits came out in like 87 or whatever, which was big. And again, like through my father, I really got into the kinks in the 80s. And then once I got into like high school and college, I really got into like their back catalog. Like I said, the preservation era. Uh, Arthur or the Decline and Fall of the British Empire is my all time favorite album by any band. I th- From start to finish, I think that thing's a masterpiece. And I love that so much. That's an excellent album. They were yeah. uh, the Kinks were actually the first band I ever saw live. So oh really? Uh, I have ninety three. It was on the Phobia tour, which uh, with my. Father. I have that album. <laughs> yeah, it's not as bad as everybody makes it out to be. That no, album. it's not. I guess in ninety three they were a little more together. They weren't fist fighting on stage or drunkenly tripping over uh, guitar monitors, right? That's true. But it was very <laughs> close to the last time they toured. I think they packed it in like ninety five, ninety six, and they haven't. You're right. Yeah. Um, I've. My dad saw them uh, probably in the mid '70s, and that uh, alcohol, Odeem and alcohol, sad memories. I can't recall. And he was uh, Ray Davies was just walking around with a beer bottle, pouring it on like security guards in the front row. And he said they were basically a mess. It was a good time, but the band was just out of control. So I hear uh, there's a rumor going around they might be uh, putting it back together. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean. They're all in their 70s, I'm assuming now. And mm-hmm. have you heard any of Ray's stuff in the last 10 years? He he came out with a solo album. I forget what year it was. Um, but I mean, he's he's my all-time like favorite songwriter, especially like lyricist. And I just the stuff that he came out because he didn't do it. He never did a solo album until like 2004, 2005, something like that, which was weird, you know. It is. Um, and especially because, like you said, when they stopped in 95, you thought maybe, you know, he would do like something solo or whatever. But he he waited like 10, 15 years. And like his his solo stuff, I, I just never could get into. And I mean, you know, granted, the, he was probably 60 years older, you know, mid late 50s when he was doing his first solo album. So, I mean, I, I don't know. Who, but who am I to criticize Ray Davies? So. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he do an album with like a gospel choir? Yes. Okay, I have it, that. Yeah, but it was all it was like uh, Kink songs, right? That he did with the. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't. Cool. It, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't anything like new. Um, but yeah, you're right. He did do that, and that is that, the things I've heard from that are pretty cool. A lot of people like to point to you know Tony Iommi of Black Sabbath as being kind of the all time riff master, but um, mm-hmm. some of those riffs that the Kinks ch- chugged out are are all time classics. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, they—I mean—they pretty much started that whole kind of that distorted sound, you know. They definitely did. My father was the first one to point that out to me, and continuously points that out to me because that, that was a big deal at the time. You didn't hear stuff like that guitar-wise, you know. Yeah, if you listen back to yeah, if you listen back to anything like that, even like early Beatles and even Rolling Stones stuff, you never heard like a distorted guitar until uh, you really got me. And um, yes, yeah, like uh, my dad—he um, never wears any shirts that have any like logos or anything like that but he did tell me in the 70s the only t-shirt he ever owned by for a band was the kinks <laughs> uh that's cool that is yeah. that's really cool so safe to say you have a thing for bands that have brothers that just cannot stand one another <laughs> i was yeah i i never put that together but yeah two of my favorite bands yeah the two brothers and i think um other than the Everly Brothers, I think those two bands really are the most vicious towards one another, the two brothers, I think. Well, the Gallagher Brothers and Oasis aren't 
exactly exchanging Christmas cards. No, that's true. Uh, so I, I was kind of, I don't know. I was never like really into Oasis, so I was just always looking at it from afar. Some of that stuff seemed kind of contrived to me, I think. But like yeah. I said, like I was never really into them, so I couldn't tell you. But I'm sure people may look at uh, Chris and Richard and say the same exact thing. Well, uh, but I, I think I think part of it is uh, Oasis is a top ten band for me, and yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with that British sense of humor. Sometimes you don't know when they're being serious and when they're not. Gotcha. Um, and uh, but I mean they they haven't spoken. Let's see, they broke up in 2010. 2011 they have not spoken so that's longer than the robinson brothers yeah and uh it, they just do not it, like one another and isn't it so crazy um i think you i think it, you may have even brought it up on your show before how that tour that they did any anyone from those two bands talk about what a great time that was and how everyone was getting along you know what i mean yeah. Uh, the this the brotherly love tour yeah everybody that was involved i've heard noel gallagher said it was the most fun they've ever had I've heard Liam say the same. Gorman talks about it anytime he's asked, and Rich even you know has said the same thing. So yeah. for all of those personalities to all agree on something like that, there it it has to be more than just talk. It has to be yeah. the truth. Exactly. Yeah. I he, never. I didn't realize they, uh, they. Both sides were so big on the uh, on the tour. Oh yeah, both yeah, both of them just yeah. rave about each other. Just love it. And I was actually today when Gorman started posting some of the stuff about the book. I got on his Facebook page and was scrolling through in his photos, and there's a photo of um, uh, the of both bands together. And he said, if there's ever a photo of two bands that could not care less about the obligatory group photo, it's these two. <laughs> but we all agree that it was the most exciting four four week run we've ever had. And then Space Hog opened for them, and they're made up of brothers as well. Yep, but those guys get along, I think, don't they? Yeah, Anthony and Royston Langdon, who I'm very big fans of, and, and I'm and didn't very one, sad that uh, they never continued. It didn't one of them date Kate Hudson for a while? Oh wow! Or was it? Or, oh, or I was think it? I think one of them was with uh, Liv Tyler, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, okay, all right. So yeah, she dated a guy, the guy from Muse, I think. If I'm oh, really? not mistaken, yeah. I, well, somebody will fact check us and let us know where I'm wrong. <laughs> um, all right, so Joe, um, we got to ask you, where did you? stumble across the black crows and at what point did you realize uh how great they were and they became one of your favorite bands uh, again like um i'll bring my dad into this because um i guess i was 12 years old when the first album uh shake your money maker came out and uh, my dad used to always record uh letterman um I, he he would record it just for himself but also i like i said i, I love like letterman is one of the another thing from my childhood that I just love so much. Um, and you know, when you're eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, you're not staying up to one thirty in the morning. Right. Or at least you shouldn't be, I guess. Uh, so my father would record Letterman all the time. And then he had, uh, when they made their debut, when it was, uh, Chris, Jeff and Rich, when they did, um, uh, jealous again on Letterman. And it just, my father was so impressed with it. Like he like took that, performance and like dubbed it on another tape just so he could keep it and i was like when letterman um when they were finished he, he said to paul schaefer about how that's that's what rock and roll really is that's what we really need uh it's the turn the dump over go home with a waitress and i i saw that too and i just loved them i love that uh i had a cassette copy of the first album it was like dubbed from a, a cd uh that i just wore out 
I guess my uh, freshman year of high school. And then in between my freshman year of high school, like that was when she talks to angels came out as a single. And that thing was just everywhere. That video was on MTV constantly. And it was just everywhere on the radio. And that, you know, that song was so good. That album was so good. And then um, I remember specifically it was uh, May of 92. It was my sophomore year of high school. I was sitting in my room and I was listening to WMMR in Philadelphia and they debuted uh, Remedy. And like the DJ said something about like, it's been like two years since we got new music from these guys. And, you know, he was like, thank God or, you know, whoever. Uh, and they played Remedy. And the first time I heard it, I thought that song was absolutely amazing. And I was just like, yeah, and like I'm in, you know, for the long haul with these guys and um the band i started playing with that that uh year when i was just kind of subbing in because the guy was tired of playing guitar um like i said they were like older than me so it was like a, a high school graduation party and one guy had i didn't have the cd yet and they had that cd and they like just played that the entire uh, southern harmony cd like on repeat and it was just you know so fantastic and it was like, um, Dave, me and you were kind of talking about it, and you said, like, once they get, like, their hooks into you, like, you know, it's it's over. Like, you're just kind of with them. And, um, yeah, all through college, the Mark album. First time I saw them was in 96 uh, in uh, the Tower Theater in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania, just outside Philadelphia. And uh, they did She by Graham Parsons, which blew my mind because, you know, I love Graham Parsons. And then they did a... You guys were talking about the um, on the cover episode you guys did about uh, Neil Young big time, mm -hmm. and at the and at the time that and I, I forgot I think Ian I think maybe you said it that was the last great like Neil Young song kind of, and that song was so I love that song so much and the fact that they did that was like some kind of like cosmic experience like they're doing it for me you know I mean <laughs> which they you know obviously they weren't but. Uh, when you're however old I was at the time, it was it was so cool and that was such a great experience. And basically, yeah, from then it was um, they're just one of my favorite bands. And got to a point where you have band. I mean, now with iTunes and uh, Spotify and everything like that, it's not the same. But for a while there it was like you have like a band like the day they release the album, you'll go out and get it. And then you have like second tier bands like if you hear some songs, it kind of like you'll go out and get it. Uh, or you know, but for that for me it was like. They, the album came out. You know, I'm going to get it. And it, you know, it came all the way down to their last album. Like, I, I, you know, I bought everything on CD. I'm not like a big vinyl guy, but everything on CD, I would go out the same the day it came out. I'd make sure I have it, just because you know I, I love that band so much. You know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I always do the same thing. It's, it's funny, you know, uh, digital platforms now. Uh, you know, on the one hand, it gives you. And the ability to maybe sample an artist that you you wouldn't otherwise maybe checked out, mm -hmm. but on the other hand, it kind of really it killed the 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 um the concept album. of an album to me. You yeah, know? it's just it's just a collection of singles for a lot of people. And now they're releasing so many songs before the album ever comes out. They may have released four singles on a ten song a ten song album, and by the time right. the album comes out, you're I, you're familiar with them. I actually have gotten to where I try not to really listen to singles. I did that on um, Magpie. Now I listened to Send Me an Omen. I listened to that one over over again. But when they released For the Wind, I did everything I could uh, not to listen to it because I always album release days have always been like very special to me. Mm -hmm. um, even like in high school, you know, I'm 
I think I'm a little bit older than you, Joe. I'm, I'm going to be 43 in a couple of days. Um, when albums would come out, I would go and, and read like beforehand on like Rolling Stone and like Hit Parader, and I was in a lot of heavy metal then, Metal Edge mm-hmm. and stuff. And you go and read the reviews of the albums that are about to come out, and of course, you know you don't have unlimited funds when you're that age, so you have to yes. you have to budget correctly. And I, I've told the story on my other podcast, like I would come to this mall uh, near my grandparents' house, and they had four different music stores, and I would go around, I knew what I wanted, and I would price them all the like, let's say. Uh, Let's say Southern Harmony's coming out, and it was $15 one place and $13 at the other. So I'd get to $13 one, and hmm. I'd have it budgeted where usually I would have a couple of dollars left over, and I could get a single. And <laughs> I specifically remember getting the Colts, um, oh, Sweet Soul Sister on uh, a single, and became a huge Colt fan from that. But going back to the Crows, I agree. Like I, On record release days, uh, I was, let's see, for Lions and for War Paint, I was in uh, graduate school. And so I made sure I had everything done for that day that they were going to come out. I did the pre-order, made sure it was going to be there, you know, that day. And it was really before all the streaming services. And you got it, and you put it on your stereo and just kicked back and turned the lights off and just enjoyed it and soaked it all up. And we don't have that anymore, I'm afraid. No, no we don't. don't. Yeah, like, I just, like, um... I really like the Raconteurs because I'm a big Jack White fan, but they have a new album coming out. And like what you're saying, I don't even know. I don't even think it's out yet, but I think like every song is like available, like somewhere online. Like they keep kind of releasing these songs. Like, like you see like these Instagram posts, like listen now. to it's like basically you're listening to the entire album before it's even released. And yeah, it does take away some of that, you know, specialness of, you know, like you said, when you, you get it, it's new, it's fresh, you haven't heard it, you put the thing on, you listen from start to finish. And now, yeah, when everything's coming out piecemeal, it really definitely loses, you know, some of that uniqueness and like uh, things that make, uh, you know, um, you know, all this stuff special for us. You know, we're going to sound like people yelling, get off our lawns to like younger people who <laughs> don't care about all this stuff. But uh, it really was part of like growing up, you know, um, actually you and I are basically the same age, Dave. I'm like a year younger. Okay. So we have, you know, very similar experiences and, um, yeah, like, I mean, these things happen with generations or whatever, but yeah, for like our generation, it was a big deal. And for like our parents' generation, obviously it was like getting the vinyl and open the gatefold sleeves and, you know, uh, stuff that we didn't experience, but, uh, yeah, like, um, just how everything, it's very convenient to have things just ready at the tip of your fingers, but it does take away some of the, you know, just, uh, I've used this word several times, so it shows you my limited vocabulary, but the specialness of it, basically. So what was the most anticipated Crows album for you? Like, the, uh, you know, what that was getting ready to come out. For me, it was War Paint, because I was a casual fan until 2000, or to 99 or 2000, and I was really looking forward to Lines, but then you had that long off period, and then I knew Luther was coming in the band. I saw Luther like way before there was a North Mississippi All Stars play uh, when I was in college. Uh, he played once a week uh, in a in a little band there, and so I was all excited. Here's kind of my hometown guy is going to be in my favorite band. That oh was, wow! That was the one that I was you know so excited. Uh, about because like i said i was just a casual fan through the 90s it was 99 or so when i just lost my mind with them so once you became a fan which album were you looking forward to the most and did it live up to your hype it would probably be 
Well, it would be Amorica because, um, like I said, with uh, Shake Your Money Maker, I was, uh, you know, eighth grade, um, and it was like, wow, this big gigantic hit. I mean, they were. I mean, people forget like they were in like that window between hair metal and Nirvana. They were like the biggest band in America, at least. And like I said, all over MTV, and it was like this big. And then they had like you know a year off. So then when Southern Harmony came out. I don't even know. I don't even like I said when I heard that first song on WMMR, I didn't even anticipate like the album was being released. Like I didn't hear anything about it. I was a 15-year-old kid in Southwest Philadelphia, you know. Um, but uh, when I was in I was a freshman in college when Amorica came out, and I remember like the hype leading up to that. They did um, they're on David again, David Letterman, they were on Letterman's uh, first anniversary show of a CBS show doing uh, Feeling All Right. And like Letterman was talking about how they had a new album coming out in November, and like MTV was covering, so it was definitely Morica. I was really uh, couldn't wait. And when that album came out, I absolutely like loved that album. I loved a conspiracy. I loved that, that video. I thought it was fantastic. I know it gets a lot of like uh, derision because of the goofy ass like eye makeup Chris is wearing, and he looks like an early version of Marilyn Manson in that video. Uh, <laughs> but I loved that song. I loved every. I think I loved every song on that album when I got it. I was in Altoona, Pennsylvania, going to college out there, and had a, the campus was on this mountain, which is way far away from like civilization, basically. And I had to get on a 45-minute bus ride to get to the only mall, the Logan Valley Mall, uh, to buy that. And I remember, yeah, again, back to my dorm room and just listening to it. And I just thought it was like absolutely incredible, like Cursed Diamond and uh, Ballad and Urgency. And, uh, yeah, I just, I really loved that album that year. And, uh, yeah, it definitely lived up to the, uh, to the hype. Um, it's, you know, I loved it so much. I still love that album. I wouldn't rate it so high compared to all the other albums they've done now, but at the time it was like, yeah, that was like, the t that was the time I was really aware that they have something coming out and I couldn't wait to hear it. And when I heard it, I was very excited and very happy with what I heard. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, man. You you mm -hmm. took a bus ride to go pick up a record. Yeah. Right? At least Some people won't plug in their phone <laughs> to charge now to get it, you know? Exactly. Well, I mean, I was also in Altoona, Pennsylvania. I would have taken a bus ride just to be on a bus, just to be doing <laughs> something at that point. <laughs> well, I used to, when a, a big album would come out, and I wasn't for sure if the place I was going was going to have it, I had a friend. He would go one place, and I would go the other, and I would just give him the money if he saw it to go ahead and buy it for me, and uh, sometimes I wound up with two copies. That's what happened with me on, uh, when Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 came out. I wound up with like three copies of that because, you know, that was at the time, that was the fastest selling album in the first week of sales in history. Yeah. Uh, like a, like 900,000. So, uh, yeah, it was record days used to be a big deal. And now I feel like you, they push it so much the month or so before the album comes out doing, you know, podcasts and TV shows and radio. And then the album comes out and a week later, they've forgotten about it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. The shelf life is very small now because of that. Definitely. So I got to ask you before we get to kind of what you wanted to talk about, mm -hmm. um, the news of, uh, the new magpie album, did that, um, did that make you feel good? Yeah, yeah, I'm very happy to hear that um, because I, I, I think we're in agreement. I, I, that band got together. I was really excited about it. I, I saw that. I saw them in Philadelphia. Me and my wife went uh, back in 2017 when they were the ten-piece band, and that show was so much fun. 
and uh, I was just always a uh, gigantic like Rich Robinson fan, and I'm really and and obviously Mark Ford, and the fact that the two of them are together and uh, doing this, I think is fantastic. I, I really like the first album, and yeah, that with all the rumors and innuendo or whatever about. Uh, they're splitting up, or they're not. Uh, just to hear, at least there's going to be another EP and a full-length album. I think is really great news and really exciting. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And I was very, I was uh, had my kids at a local carnival uh, the other night, and uh, my wife and my daughter were on a Ferris wheel, which I don't go on because I'm scared of heights. And I just looked at my phone. And I saw the Instagram post while I was standing there at the about the uh, High Water Two, and in here the single coming out. I was very excited. Yeah, it's gonna. It sounds like it's gonna be great, and I I don't know how I'm gonna uh, handle the next few months. Uh, yeah, one, you know. But I'm really hoping they um, do release some tour dates and uh, go on tour again because I uh, I missed them when they came through. They played the Ardmore Music Hall back in September, uh, so I missed them this time just because I was out of town. But I really like to go see them again. And uh, like I said my took my wife um she has a very kind of unique black rose story herself because she was actually at uh, one of the zz top concerts oh wow uh, the few. Wow. yeah yeah <laughs> she was uh her, her her dad and mom had really great taste of music and um you know at the time they were like zz top they took uh my wife and my uh, sister-in-law and uh, who were like nine and ten at the time or whatever to uh, Hershey, it was either Hershey Arena or Hershey Stadium to see ZZ Top, and they were there for like one of Chris's meltdowns against Miller Lite and the corporate sponsorship and everything like that. And my father, because anytime I talk to my father-in-law about music and I bring up Black Rose, he's like, "Oh my God, that guy was just like this greasy thug, just screaming curse words at everyone." <laughs> and that was like my wife's first exposure. Like she was like ten years old or nine years old, being screamed at, you know, by this skinny maniac on the stage. But you know, God bless her, she's. She's gone to three Black Crows concerts, and she went to that Magpie Salute concert. And she really loved the Magpie Salute a lot better than the Black Crows, actually. But like I said, she may be scarred from being screamed at when she was a grade schooler by Chris. <laughs> that's that's a really, you know, I don't think I've ever spoken to anyone uh, that was. That's a, a big part of the uh, the lore, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. And it's uh, to be uh, actually have witnessed that, you know, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> guard for life but it's still guard cool. for life yeah well i know my father-in-law uh yeah he had turned them off completely from them so i'm like no they're really good he's like oh he's like i just can believe and uh, you know and i understand you're bringing your kids to see this you know classic rock band and then this guy's up there just screaming for <laughs> what they say he would go up there and yell for 20 minutes at a 45 minute set about <laughs> the nor light banners or whatever and it's, you have to like put it into perspective too. Like if you've think about like bands you've seen, and mm-hmm. it was the opener. Like if the if the opener yeah. band was doing that, you'd be yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what is going on here? You know. And at the time, ZZ Top was one of the biggest bands in the in the country. Oh yeah, they're enormous. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on that note, have you guys ever been to a show uh, for one of Chris's uh, rants? Yes and yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so one of mine was on this last tour with uh, Jackie Green. They played here in Jackson, and they played at this place called Thalyamara Hall. And this is kind of it's a uh, it's just an old th- kind of theater slash. They do a lot of like plays and stuff there. And oddly enough, for whatever reason, 
there's two places in the world where they have essentially the world ballet finals. It's like Moscow and Jackson, <laughs> Mississippi. Don't ask me how <laughs> we got that. But the the place is kind of built for something like that. It's really pretty, but it's just not conducive to a rock concert with the way the seating and everything is. Yeah. And so I went and we, we were like sixth row and I'm one of these people like I stand up the whole time at a crow show. I never sit down. Mm-hmm. And uh this guy behind me uh the the Champa came out and I was like, Oh, it's about to be go time, you know, and I stood up and mm-hmm. He was there, and I guarantee all he knew was twice as hard, and she talks to angels or whatever. And he taps yeah. me on the shoulder, and he said, you're going to need to sit down for this. Yeah. And I said, I'm not sitting down. He says, oh, you're going to sit down. I said, man, this ain't Sunday school. It's the Black Crows. <laughs> and uh, for whatever reason, the first like 10 rows of people just say, stayed seated the entire first song. And you could okay. see Sven was like looking at Chris, and Chris, you know, I was like, oh, he's about to come unglued, you know. And he was basically yeah. like, hey... It's a rock and roll concert, people. Uh, yeah. You know, um, anyway, he kind of chastised the crowd, and, and, and I think he cussed at them. And then, of course, everybody got up. And then later on in the show, everybody had their phone out. And it's actually, uh-huh. the little rant is actually on, like, Crow's Base, where he was just, like, about living in the moment and, uh-huh. and everything else. And you could tell he was really perturbed. And I think this was toward the end of the tour as well, when I'm sure they knew, like, we don't really care if we tick people off or not. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it was it was kind of uncomfortable the way he was yelling at people. Oh yeah, but, uh, yeah. That that's mine. It was all at the same show. All the other shows I've been to, he's been you know he's been cool and happy. Yeah. How about you, Ian? I uh, I never got a uh, I never got a hold of a uh, a Chris uh, negative rant or anything like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Closest I came, I was at the show where uh, the Magpie show where uh, in the middle of the acoustic breakdown part, oh. Rich told everybody to shut up. So yeah. You know, which was pretty uh, cool in retrospect, you know, but, and as he had since done it several times, but I mean, I kind of agree with him on that though. I mean, it, to, at that particular show, it was so loud. It really did. Like it, it was ruining the experience for me personally. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, I don't, I don't really hold it against him for saying something. Oh, there's like a famous, uh, clip of, uh, on YouTube of Jeff Tweedy during one of his, uh, solo acoustic shows. Yes. He literally stops and he's like, why are you here if you're talking? He's like, I, you know, I'm playing an acoustic guitar. You know, I'm just going to be... and and he basically like dresses down uh, the crowd, which is good. But my Chris rant was uh, at the TLA in, in Philly in '98. Uh, somebody brought a laser pointer and was oh. like, sh- it was during the Wiser time, like jam, and they're like shining it on the backdrop behind Steve, and you just see like Steve and Chris like made eye contact, and they're both pissed off. And I think they're going wiser time into bout and urgency or the other way around. Like they were, they're going yeah. right into the, and he literally reached over and grabbed the neck of Rich's guitar to have him stop playing and then just started screaming at whoever had this laser pointer. Above. And I was, I was literally right against the barrier. I was up in the front row and it was like being in school and being <laughs> in the front of the class and having the teacher screaming at the kid in the back of the class, you know, where it's like just so this awkward, awful feeling like, you know, I didn't do anything wrong, but this person screaming at these people in the back, and it was uh, it was something to see. And you know, I'm glad I witnessed it firsthand because it, it, it's like witnessing a, a tornado or an earthquake, I guess. <laughs> One of the funniest rants I've ever heard from him, I think it was in a show in St. Louis, and I guess everybody was kind of like the show I was at, sitting down. And he stopped the show, and 
I think they were getting ready to go into Sting Me, and he said, hey, uh, you know, you're allowed to have fun and dance. This ain't a Dave Matthews concert. <laughs> and uh, he was like, nice guy. He's a nice guy, but come on, people. <laughs> so I always thought that one was funny. All right, Joe, so the topic at hand uh, yeah. that you wanted to discuss, uh, since, and it's really helpful since you're a musician and uh, maybe can strum GC and D every now and then. And Ian is a guitar player, so he may be able to contribute more than me. You wanted to discuss uh, the two main bass players in the band, Johnny Colt and Sven Pippian, and kind of what each one of them brings to the band and, and things that you've noticed uh, what they're playing as opposed to the other person. Yeah, well, um, I, I do play guitar. I don't consider myself a musician, even though I've been in a band for 20 years. Uh, but uh, And I'm not a bassist, but I always thought, I'm 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 I don't know how unique I am, but I've only seen them play with Mark Ford or Audley Free. Those are the only lineups I actually saw live. I never saw them play with Luther or Jackie. However, I've seen them play with Johnny Colt, Sven Pippian, uh, Greg Razab, and Andy Hess on bass. So I have this unique perspective of being able to see all four bass players that the Black Rose had. Uh, and uh, I think. Uh, the thing with Johnny and Sven is basically, I think that's kind of like the pivot of like ours, obviously, from um, when Mark left. Um, but the fact that Mark and Sven actually played together, he's basically kind of in like that um, classic lineup without really being in the classic lineup. And the fact that also he started out, he was Chris Robinson's roommate. He was in Steve Gorman's first band. So he and it was like, where did like Johnny Colt come from? Because you never hear about that. You just kind of hear like he was like this guy in a cover band with a fake name because that's not his real name. And then he's just in the band. But like you hear like this whole backstory about how Sven was uh, Steve Gorman moved from Kentucky to Atlanta to basically be in a band with Sven. And Sven was Chris's roommate. And Chris went to. So it's just really weird. The fact that um, uh, basically like uh, how, how the band moved along with uh Johnny's like in this classic line, but Sven was kind of there all along. And then when they reunited, which I, I personally think that 2005 lineup was the greatest lineup. And I really wish they would have recorded and wrote some songs together. I think that's like the uh, biggest uh, missed opportunity for a band that's had a lot of missed opportunities. Um, but as far as like the actual bass playing, uh, Ian, I, and I'm going to use like the wrong terminology, but you listen to uh, Johnny playing, it's not like flat, but it's kind of like, like his bass sounds not. I don't think he's really like full. It's kind of like a like, just it sounds like a flat tire to me when he's playing. Even like on the recordings and when Sven's playing, it's much fuller. And I think the bass playing on War Pain and even uh, Before the Frost, I think is much much fuller, like deeper, kind of like a bass sound. Whereas um, Johnny was always just kind of like I guess maybe maybe he plays because he plays with a pick or whatever. Do you do you agree with me at all, or am I totally off base here? No, I I always uh, particularly thought that uh, that was the main difference in, uh, in 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 the sound that Johnny had was that he he did primarily play with a pick. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think a little bit later, maybe like around Morka Three Snakes, he he broke away from that a little bit. But the the bass sound on Southern Harmony is definitely a guy playing with a pick, and it it, yeah. it does it, it does create a, a completely different uh, tone, tonality to the bass. I think it doesn't have like the warmth. Right. Uh, yeah, that's and I think when when Sven's playing, and even when you hear like when he's playing, like you know, um, and even like the '98 shows, and even um, definitely since the reunion, 
there's much fuller sound, I think, on the bass, even on those classic songs, and uh, like a warmer tonality to it than Johnny had. And I think it was like really weird. I was talking to uh, Dave David before about it. Um, how like Mary? Have you ever heard of uh, any of the stuff by Mary My Hope? That Sven and Steve's original band. No, I haven't uh, personally heard it. No. I went and listened yeah, to it on YouTube yesterday. After, yeah. after you told me about it, and it's nothing like the Crows at all. It's almost like a tad bit hair metal and a tad bit yeah. grunge. Yeah, uh, if that makes yeah, any really. sense. I kind of what I think of when I think the sound that Mother Love Bone was really supposed to kind of eventually become. Uh, uh-huh. yeah, it's totally different. I never would have thought this is a guy that's going to be in the Black Crows for 20 years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then when Johnny left and he uh, he got in that band Asphalt Blaster, they didn't sound a thing like the Black Crows. And then he joins Train. And it was just so weird that you know these two guys are basically the backbone of the sound. Um, they came their other projects sound nothing like and uh, and David, as you pointed out, Steve. I mean uh, Johnny did eventually wind up with Leonard Skinnerd who are the preeminent Southern rock and roll band. Um, but it was just so, it, I thought it was really weird that the, the two bass players came from, like, their other projects were really different than the sound of this band that, you know, the three of us love. And it was, uh, I thought, it, a weird perspective. So I don't guess I've ever completely gotten the story of why, was Johnny fired or did he leave? He quit. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, according to the... Uh... If I remember the VH1 behind the music uh, at the time, uh, he 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 quit. He like said it, according to Chris, said it you know wasn't wasn't for him anymore. And he was on um, Pierre Robert, uh as a disc jockey on WMMR here, and he's been a disc jockey on WMMR since I, I think it's been like forty years or something like that. And he had uh, Johnny on. Years, uh, it was like '99. <clears throat> he was there actually promoting Asphalt Blaster, and they were in studio playing. And Pierre uh, asked him, "Well, what you know, what happened with the what happened with the Black Crows, basically?" And he said, uh, "The quote I always remember: he said, well, Chris Robinson is a great front man and a great singer, but he's not a great human being.'" <laughs> and it was basically like Johnny did not want to deal with Chris anymore and and left. Well, I always thought of everybody that was in the band, Johnny was the one that had the persona of a rock star. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yes. <laughs> you know, he dressed flamboyantly, kind of played to the crowd a little bit. And, had uh, the, the cowboy hats, the leather cowboy hats he had. And, yeah, he had you know, and he had look. that kind of funky beard at times. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. he, he added a lot. I think he and Sven both add a lot, though, to the, back, to the backing vocals. Oh, yeah. Uh, Sven's a, a great uh, backing vocalist. Yeah, definitely. All right, yeah, so go, go ahead, Ian. I was just going to say, just to swing back to, to something Joe had said just before, I, I, I do agree that uh, the 2005-2006 lineup was the quintessential lineup um, mm-hmm. of the band because it's the you know pretty much the, the classic era, but just with Sven substituted in for Johnny, and I, I always pr- much preferred Sven. I um, do too, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that, I, you're, you're definitely right. It is a shame that they didn't commit more to tape. Yeah, and I think uh, clearer heads in '05 in and '06 probably. Yeah. Then um, yeah. back then. So you mentioned Greg Rizov. You know, he's the guy that's kind of the forgotten guy. He was kind of in yeah. for a second and, and left. He was more of like a, a blues player. I know he plays with John Mayall now. Um, 
it was you just think his style just didn't fit or do you think there was like a it was a personality issue i don't know i mean it's funny i i'd have to look i i saw them with uh jimmy page in july of 2000 it may have been it was one of the first shows he played uh with them and again it's it's really hard to tell then because he's you're basically you're, you're a cover band at that point. You know what I mean? Like right. they're, they're playing Led Zeppelin, so it was kind of hard to tell. Um, but I do remember like there were all these rumors like he just wanted out, and I don't know if you remember they had a website back in the late '90s, and Ed would leave these like they had the "What's Wrong with Steve" columns. You guys ever read those? Right. Yeah. Yes. Those are absolutely fantastic. But for a while there, they tried a thing where Ed would be leaving these 30-second messages on like these MP3s or whatever. And I remember him saying something about, oh, all the rumors are true. Greg wanted out. He's gone. <laughs> so I guess he didn't want to be in the band. I guess he was just like a hired hand just to finish out that uh, Jimmy Page tour. And then uh, for Lions, Rich and Don was played bass. So That's right. So Hess, there's re- there's not any recorded that I know of recorded no. music with him playing bass. He just was basically a touring bassist. From what I understand – when they uh, when they were looking for a replacement for Sven, it was between Greg and Andy Hess, and they picked Greg because he had more touring experience. Well, I guess that would make sense uh, at the time because they're they're on they were in the middle of the uh, Jimmy Page tour when they uh, got rid of Sven that first time. So I guess you would need somebody who could be able, to, you know, jump right in there and uh, keep going. You know. So Joe, in your opinion, you talked about kind of what Johnny brought to the band. What did what did you notice when Sven came in from a from just an overall standpoint and from playing bass? Uh, I, like I said, I thought the the bass playing was much fuller, like a warmer sound. Um, and it, it's weird because Johnny leaves in '97 when they were kind of at the height of their um, like further tour, kind of long hair, bearded, you know, thing. And then Sven's in when they made that pivot to like the glam rock kind of you know by your side cleaned up uh early 90s aerosmith kind of thing that they were going so sven had like that page boy haircut and like the uh, sequin like jackets and everything like that and uh he it was definitely like a different look and i remember um when they came back in 2005 obviously i knew it was sven playing bass he looked like a completely different human being in 2005 than he looked in 1998 because yeah, he's, like, he's miles away from that 98 look yeah because like i think he was like straightening his hair you know back in 98 and they all had like this glammy kind of look and you remember the goofy ass like uh, top hat chris had and the pink you know tuxedo jackets he would wear on stage back then so it was like the entire band had like this whole kind of overhaul look about them and like Sven was part of that and then when he came back in 2005 and he's just like he's just himself up there with his, you know his hair looking how it is and you know since then he's grown that gigantic beard and his long hair and everything so stylistically um it was it was weird but I think in 98 he was probably they probably told him like this is what the record company wants us to look like so it kind of looked like this because um and you know like I I, th- I think the most amazing thing about his story was um, him and Steve are in that band. Steve leaves my, Mary My Hope. They get a record deal. And Sven and the replacement drummer and the other two roommates are in London making an album. Their album comes out before the Black Crows album. And and Steve just thinks he makes the biggest mistake of his life. And then fast forward to 98, like Sven was like literally making and delivering pizzas, right? 
And then they just they called him to replace Johnny just because Steve and Rich and Chris all knew him from the days back. And in a way, that's like the coolest thing to look out for like an old friend like that and bring him on. And the fact that they were able to bring him on and like he was able to like deliver the goods, I think is really a cool story. Like Disney should make a movie about that, I think. Yeah, you're delivering pizzas and the next week you're playing with Jimmy Page. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And because they, I mean, even like, um, yeah, 97, they were kind of on their way down, but they're still a big band. And that, that By Your Side release, that was big. I mean, they had like Tonight Show appearances and uh, radio airplay all over the place. They had like a VH1 special to release that album. So, I mean, that's a big deal. And, and it wasn't even like Pizza Hut. It wasn't even a national chain. It was just he was delivering pizzas for some corner store, you know? Yeah, he joined during the pimp era. That's what I like mm-hmm. to call it. Mm-hmm. I know they went on the Tonight Show, and I mean, Chris was just a straight up pimp. Yep, yep. Uh, it said it right on his shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's you're exactly right. You're exactly right. So, a little bit about what they played. What um, Sven plays like a Fender bass, right? If I'm, yeah, and he was playing at Hoffner for a while too. Um, on the uh, before the Frost session. It, Actually, what is, is it? Before the Frost? I've always had trouble with the title of that album. Yeah, it's Before, before the Frost, the, After the Freeze. Yeah, I used to call it Before the Freeze, After the Frost. Okay. Uh, get it, you're not the only one. Don't yeah. don't, uh, don't hurt yourself over that. What did, a, what, what did Johnny primarily play? I think he played a Fender. Am I right, Ian? Um, I believe so, yeah. You know what? I'm, I'm having trouble picturing it in my head at the moment. But I'll make... A total confession, I'm not a gearhead at all when it comes to, like, uh, like my brother-in-law who plays bass in the band that I'm in, uh, uh, he knows all about gear and everything like that. And I'm just like, eh, and I had six strings or I had four strings, basically. <laughs> you know, a lot I'm of the people... the same way. Like, I, I, I just, I, I always could pick up a guitar and play it. I, I didn't ever... I never got too much into the technical aspect uh, of it, you know? No, I, n- I never had, no. Do you? Any- like, Go ahead. I'm sorry, like, um, I have tons of guitar player magazines, but I always just buy them for, like, the interviews. And when they're talking about the music and the songwriting and the albums, I, I'm so interested. And, like, every guitar player magazine, like, the first two-thirds are about that. And then the last third is about the gear. And then I just totally, like, my eyes glaze over. I'm like, I don't, you know, <laughs> I may as well be reading algebra at this point. <laughs> well, Rich is a total gearhead. Oh, I know, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever heard when he was on um, Dean Delray's Let There Be Talk podcast. Yes, yes. And I mean, Dean Delray's a gearhead, too. And yep. uh, you know, they're talking about these boutique amps. And mm-hmm. apparently Rich buys guitars and he pays this guy basically to drag them behind a car in a parking lot for a while to beat them <laughs> up. And, uh, you know, uh, that guitar that he plays on Soul Singing, is that called like a Zemeckis or something like that? Or yes. And, you know, how rare it is to get one of those. And this guy made him one. And, uh, yeah, it just all goes over. I, I enjoy hearing him talk about it because they're so passionate about it. But it just goes way over my head really quick. But Rich always loves to talk gear. And, and just the fact that you, and I remember you guys were talking about an earlier show that you guys are right. That 2005 soul singing jam that they did, that was incredible. And it's a shame because Magpie Salute, they don't do that anymore. But that, that jam they did, Mark and Rich in the middle of that song, that, that live version, I think blows away the Lions version. Um, and uh, yeah, that, and yeah, you, you see that guitar come out and you know that's the song they're going to be playing. And that, that's, that's just incredible. 
That jam is unbelievable. I, I will say that till the cows come home. Actually, though, when I saw them perform it in in two thousand six, mm-hmm. I think there was a problem with the with the with the monitors, and like uh, Mark was like, you know, two bars behind or something. So we oh, started right. late. Yeah, so they actually screwed it up when I saw it. Oh, but it was still good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but on that, um, the uh, Fillmore DVD that they put out into the fog, or and that version on that is absolutely incredible. Yeah, it's great on there, too. Yep. The only thing that bothers me about that DVD is when they get to the jam part, it goes off into a There's you know, goofy film piece. Film you can see them yeah. play it. Yeah. yeah. And that, I guess for um, licensing rights, they didn't put Loving Cup on there. Because you know, yeah. that was released as like a bonus on iTunes. Yeah. Right. I remember that, yeah. That well, was, that's, a great, that's a great DVD. That's a great like set, yeah. That's one thing I, I really loved when that came out because it was the first like real visual document you had of the Ford of Ford being in the band that was mm-hmm. easily accessible. I remember getting that, and it was to me that was as big of a deal as getting an album. I remember just sitting there and watching it over and over and over again, and just analyzing all of it. And they all looked like they seemed to be having such a good time. Yeah, I remember I got that. You know, order it off of Amazon or whatever back in 2006 when it came out. And at the time, my son was two years old and I got it. And, you know, my son's running around. He doesn't want to watch a Black Rose video. Obviously, you know, there's cars on or something. But I remember just being like, talking to my wife, and being like, I'm just going to put it on five minutes just to see the first song. And like, I'm so excited just to see it. You know what I mean? And like, yeah, like I, I watched that constantly. Like, after every moment we go to bed, I would just put that on. And I know, like, my wife came down a couple times, and she but it sounds like a concert down here. It's so loud. And I'm like, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, yeah. If, if, if it's possible to play out a DVD, I could have possibly played that out. That was fantastic. Did you get the uh, Warpaint Live Blu-ray or DVD? I had, yeah, the DVD. And I'll tell you this. The one thing that is so much better about that is the lighting. I think that the, the lighting on that um, Into the Fog thing it really looks like a like a TV special, like a VH1 thing or whatever. Where it's it, like it was too bright. Yeah, too way too bright, way too bright. And with the lighting on that Warpaint Live, just looks like a film. You know what I mean? Like it looks it looks so much better um, than uh, the Into the Fog thing. So I, I don't know, I don't know who, who would be in charge of the lighting or whatever. But yeah, it just seemed like they were just kind of standing up there. It was like as if they were like making an extended appearance on a late night talk show um whereas the war paint live just the ambiance and the lighting looks so much better and it was like this is like an experience of actually seeing them live in the show playing these songs yeah i would definitely agree with that assessment that 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 freaking roll dvd is definitely much brighter than it should be yep (laughs) and it kind of takes away from the the stage setup they had at the time with all the candles in the front and everything and yeah exactly It, it really looks it looks like a high school play (laughs) the thing that frustrated me the most about that was the you know the cutting away showing them walking through like chinatown and yeah walking out in like a you know in a trail or in in the woods or whatever and i'm Mm -hmm. like man just show mark ford playing yeah yeah Yeah. that and chris and rich wearing those matching vests oh yeah and he made the jokes like we're gonna be waiters (laughs) the waiters yeah (laughs) oh man that is great so joe getting back to the base discussion Mm-hmm. I think where I'm, I think I know your answer, but if you had to pick somebody to play bass in the Black Crows, which one would it be? I would definitely be Sven. That's what I, I thought think, you yeah. would say. Yeah. And I think it would be really interesting to hear 
um, just those those classic albums. I mean, it, it's it's hard to say anything against Johnny because '92 to '97, they put out they put out three albums that were all fantastic. But they also they technically they recorded five albums. You know, if you put the band and it's all in there, they right. were all fantastic. So, and he's not obviously he's not bad. He's you know really like I'm not dissing him at all. Um, but uh, I, I, I prefer Sven. I think he's a better bass player, and I think um, just the sound would have been. If I had one complaint listening to those old recordings, it's yeah, that bass is just like that pluckingness of the bass instead of like a warmth kind of deep, like more soulful kind of sound. So I would definitely prefer Sven. I think it would be interesting. In a, well, somewhere, according to string theory people, there's a universe where he was in the band the entire time, and they're <laughs> listening to those songs right now and enjoying them for all they're worth. Well, you know, you can hear a little bit of a different take by him on Chronology when they re-recorded all yes. that stuff. Yes, exactly, yeah. So, I always kind of felt that um, Sven definitely contributed to jams much more so than Johnny did. I always felt like Johnny oh, was yeah. keeping, keeping up with the jam, whereas Sven was actually diving into it, you know? Yeah, he was making like runs into like higher registers, and um, but he would. Um, he, he, he have you ever heard him interviewed? Actually, Sven. Yeah. No. Yes, on Dean Del Rey's Dean podcast. Del Rey, yeah. yeah, and basically, Rich was like, "Hey, Sven, you want to come do an inter- the interview?" And yeah, it's yeah. the first and time I've ever heard him talk. He he sounds like the sweetest, most down to earth guy. Like just so. Happy, and again, if you're delivering pizzas at the time, then you wind up in this big rock and roll band. I guess you would, but he, he just everything he talked about. Like I remember just feeling so happy for him, and just hearing how much like he loves music. And he, uh, at one point, like Dean Del Rey says something about, "Oh man, I love rock and roll." And so it's just like, "Oh, I love rock. I really love rock and roll." You know, and just like he really seems appreciative of being able to do all this. Um, but uh, he. I think it was in that interview, or maybe it was another interview I heard, because I did hear one where him and Mark were actually interviewed uh, together. And he was talking about um, when he was originally in the band that he was doing a lot of uh, runs up the neck, uh, kind of filling in, um, doing like almost lead parts because it was like on the recordings, like Mark was doing so much more than I guess, I guess at the time, I guess it was all later or whatever it was doing. And then when he finally like played with Mark, he was like, Oh, I don't have to do all that. I can just kind of lay back here and just put this groove down. Cause this guy is going, you know, bananas or whatever. <laughs> so I thought that, and I think if you listen back, he, yeah, he does do a lot more. And when they get into jams or whatever, he's being a lot more creative and just kind of like, like you said, just kind of holding down the bottom for that. All right, Joe. It's been uh, it's been great having you on. It's been great having your insight. What we're gonna do is Ian and I are gonna rapid fire five questions to you, and you okay. tell us the the first thing that comes to your mind. Ian and I'll just go back and forth. All right, you ready, Ian? Okay. I'm ready, David. All right. Your favorite Crows album? Uh, Southern Harmony. Your favorite Rich Robinson riff? Uh, no Speak No Slave. Your favorite Mark Ford solo? Uh, No Speak No Slave. <laughs> No, I'm sorry. Sting me. The second solo is Sting me. All right. Your favorite guitar player in the Black Crows that isn't named Mark Ford? Luther. All right. Final question. Mm-hmm. Your favorite song that Luther played on? Uh, Golden and Hills. Really? Wow. Yeah, I love that song. Wow. That is the, that is the last song I expected you to say. Well, wow, that's great. I love, yeah, I. that's probably my favorite song on that album. And uh, I know, like, a lot of... People in the Black Crows community don't like that, but 
that really I really love that. I really, right. I love that album, but I, I really like that song a lot. I applaud you for saying that because there are oh. so many people that would you know be all over you for saying that. Now. Oh, I know. And you I still know. say you like it, so I think that's great, man. Yeah, Joe. Oh, the, the, the week this comes out, if I were you, I wouldn't get on the message boards. <laughs> I'm sure I'll be crucified for all that. <laughs> Damn well, it! I'm going to stand up for the Golden and Hills and, and lay it right out there for you. Well, Joe, I've I've I dropped the ball with with you. Uh, I meant to ask you this before we came on there, so we'll just ask you this over the air. Okay. As you know, we always have somebody give it. We have either me or Ian or our guest gives us a song to play out. What song would you like for Mister Ian to uh, tie into this episode? Hmm. Um, well, it's funny because I was talking about how much I like Sven, but uh, how about Girl from a Pawn Shop? You're not gonna get a complaint from either one of us on that. <laughs> no, definitely not. That's my favorite song from uh, Three Snakes, and uh, I always love that song. And that album came out in the summer, and it's summer and I always think of the summer when I hear that song. So, I got a nice version of that song that I just found while going through some old '96 tapes. So I'll Perfect. play out the show with that for you. Awesome, Joe. It's been a pleasure. Uh, it's been a pleasure for me too. This was so much fun, guys. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Really, really been a good time. We will All put right. you in the uh, Rolodex. This won't be the last. <laughs> this probably won't be the last time you come on, if that's okay with you. Oh man, I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, you guys are doing a great job. I really enjoy this podcast and. Uh, I think, you know, God bless you guys. This is fantastic. Joe, Joe Bolin, everybody, uh, thank you so much for coming on. And here's Girl from a Pawn Shop to play us out. And everybody, stay tall.
Gratuity included. No, the letter concludes. 